All right. So we've got uh, a couple of topics that we're going to talk about today. Um, one topic is um, we're going to talk about Jeff Goldblum and his recent run-in with the social justice crowd on online. Uh, so some good stuff there. And we're also going to talk about um, is a college education required to be successful or to get by in today's society? So we're going to wrestle with that with that topic first. But before we jump into those, um, just to kind of break the ice here, uh, I wanted to share something with you, Jason, because uh, I watched this this morning and I thought it was absolutely hysterical. So um, for those of you who are familiar with, uh, with, a, uh, with Family Feud, the game Family Feud, check out this little, this little clip here. Hopefully you can, here it goes. <laughs> what am? Name something that follows the word pork. You pie. Huh? Yes! Pork. He said, Cupine. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> what is Cupine? <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> I. Steve Harvey cracked me up. Isn't that great? Okay. All right. Isn't that that's, great? That's great. Thanks for that. that. I need yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. Talk about thinking outside of the box or uh, <laughs> from a different angle. That's perfect. Um. <laughs> and it, it, it takes you a minute because you're like, wait, what? You know, I'm thinking, you know, at the time I'm thinking, okay, like pork and beans, pork chop, you know, those are coming to my mind. And, yep. and when he says cupine, I'm like, wait, what? And then I had to put it together. My <laughs> That's genius. Somebody give that guy a medal. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, that broke the ice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that one. So oh. we were uh, so talking about uh, good old Jeff Goldblum here. Um, I'm going to set the stage. So Jeff Goldblum, I didn't know that this show existed. This um, Is it called Drag Race? Drag Race is um, uh, what I what I've heard of it as, and honestly, I didn't know it existed either till a, a very dear friend of mine actually mentioned it to me. Um, and uh, from what I can gather, it's like you have a, a basically American Idol or The Voice mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. combined with <clears throat> drag queens. In a nutshell. Why not? Sure. Sure. Why not? Right? Um, it's summer. I don't know why I've never heard summer. of it. I've never heard of it this either. I didn't hear about this until you told me about this earlier today. So I went out there um, and sure enough, Jeff Goldblum was really being attacked by social justice warriors. But um, uh, this one, this clip that I'm gonna play here, this is, uh, I thought this was kind of funny and, and I think this begins to set the stage. Now, I don't know if this first clip is, um, came before or after the, uh, the, the part where Jeff Goldblum gets in trouble with the social justice warriors. Um, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and, and, and play that so you can, you can see this. Um, this is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he has an issue with the concept of tucking. So I'll just go mm -hmm. ahead and mm -hmm. let, let's hear what he has to say here. Certainly not Benedict Arnold. Nope, maybe not tonight. <laughs> how exactly? Because I'm a little unfamiliar. What so? What do you have? Yeah. What do you do exactly? Is it? Is it all? It's everything is tough, and you can achieve that. That's uh, uh, not something for. Oh my God! How terribly uncomfortable for that poor man. <laughs> right. But how bold of him to actually have the uh, testicular fortitude to genuinely ask, what do you do with your member to get it so it doesn't look like you've got one? Um, kudos, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, he had, he was wondering, he's like, what, 
how do I approach this? Right. You know, he's struggling with the right way of asking the question, mm-hmm. but I think it's the, I, what I think, what I think find funny about it is that, um, you know, everybody thinks that, right. Well, so sure. Every, everybody's wondering about that, but this is, this is the clip that really got him into trouble with the social justice warriors online. So let's, uh, let's check out this one. Now the, um, yeah, I will, I will preface this, this video clip. Somebody had, recorded it with obviously their their camera pointed at their phone so um there is it is closed caption on the bottom i don't know if you can read that very well um but uh, i'll go ahead and play it anyway i got it turned up pretty loud so hopefully you can hear it it does take a it does take a minute before jeff goldblum asks his question um so maybe by then you'll be able to hear it of immigrants of people who come from everywhere and we come together and it's such a simple outfit that says so much? Are you religious, may I ask? I'm not, and to be honest, this outfit really represents the importance that visibility for people of religious minorities need to have in this country. Isn't this an interesting wrinkle, though? Is there something in that religion that is anti-homosexuality uh, and anti-woman? Does that complicate the issue? I'm just raising it up, thinking out loud, maybe being stupid, but no. So <clears throat> that's the that's the clip that got him into trouble. Um, people came out and said that he was that Jeff Goldblum was um, homophobic, uh, that he was anti-Muslim, um, and and if you watch that clip, I didn't get the sense that he was homophobic. I think if if he really were homophobic, he would not have done the show. Uh, I don't believe for a moment that uh, that Jeff Goldblum went on to the show without knowing what a drag race was. Um, he had to have known what what he was getting involved in, and, and obviously he supported it um, because he was there. And I think the question is is genuine. I, he's not attacking the individual, so I, I I find it very difficult to tie in the homophobia there because he's not attacking the individual or the fact that these people are up on stage, but he's asking a legitimate question about the religion. I mean, there, a few years ago, there was video that hit the, hit the internet uh, in Iran where you had, um, you know, these, these far right or far conservative um, uh, Muslims who were taking gay men to the top of a building and they were throwing them over, um, over the side of the building to their death. Uh, and this is something that, um, this is only one type of horrendous um, activity that uh, that Muslims have um, performed against uh, against gays in the in Middle East, but um, but also the fact of you know asking the question that Jeff Goldblum asked about how the treatment of of women. I mean, if you look at for example at Iran in the 1970s, the women didn't wear hijabs or you know veils or anything like that, and it wasn't until um, the government was overthrown and it became a, a religious government. Um, that women were forced to wear those things. So, what do you what do you think about this uh, about this kind of attack against Jeff Goldblum? I I was uh, I was shocked actually when I first heard uh, about this. I I had a vision in my head of this uh, uh, back and forth and al- almost a direct um, a direct questioning uh, of this particular person. Um, you know, you come out wearing the hijab, uh, obviously with a uh, with the American flag motif on it, you know, um, you are celebrating or representing a a religious background that actually openly persecutes not only women, but uh, homosexuals or gays. Um, how how can you do that? Can you help me understand that? That's almost what I envisioned. And if, if you actually watch this clip, and, and for those of you that didn't um, or are not able to see it, it's it's... Um, he's actually asking almost a, I guess, kind of a nervous question to the judges. Like, well, wait, how does does this change anything here? What do we do with that? Um, and he's being persecuted for asking an honest question. And it seemed like just in that moment, with with all the the hate that he's getting from it, it's indicative of everything that we're seeing in society today. We're we're so afraid of offending somebody and not even necessarily an individual that we're talking with right in front of us, but perhaps somebody else 
who is going to take up a um, social justice mantle for that person and create a crusade out of it, that we're, we're afraid to even ask a general question. I mean, to me, this was very much an emperor's new clothes type situation. Just like the, uh, ha what, what's with tucking? I don't understand. You have these men, anatomically speaking, um, who are out on stage dressed as women. There's some obvious questions that 90% of the audience probably has. And 100% of those will not ask it because they're terrified of what somebody else might think or feel or say or then accuse them of. And he's, he's basically saying, look, you have, you're representing this um, religion. You are a homosexual or transgender, LGBTQ, I, I don't know all the letters, but, um, and you're bringing in the American Stars and Stripes into it. How, help me to reconcile all that. You figured it out. Help me to do that. And he's getting lashed for it. Yeah, he is. And here's a, here's a, Here's the uh, the individual who, um, who I believe is actually Canadian. Isn't that correct? Uh, yeah, Cana uh, Ira Iranian Canadian. There's a hyphen yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even you know you know I'm an obviously I'm American and but I'm looking at the stars and stripes and I, that I'm not even offended by that. No, I'm not either. The interesting part is he actually he prefaced this first. <clears throat> Can I ask? Are you religious? And he, I think, is that okay to say he? Can I say he? See, yeah, I you can say he. Okay. He said, no, I'm not. So obviously there's no religious um, animosity going on here. He's actually trying to understand what he is trying to represent by wearing the hijab and bringing that up. Now, now see, the other thing about this too is, is if – if this individual, if this guy was dressed as, let's say, a Catholic priest, mm -hmm. and he was uh, on this show, um, if Goldblum had asked the question, but phrased in a way that says, well, Christianity or Catholicism doesn't uh, you know, support the gay lifestyle, which they don't. You know, Catholic dogma has come out many, many times against homosexuality but if jeff, jeff goldblum had asked that of somebody dressed as a priest on stage or even as a nun for example i don't think there would be any backlash because that would be considered acceptable that's that's my theory because one it's become within our culture within our society it's become very um, convenient uh, and almost to a point of courageous if you will to attack um, the motifs of Christianity and especially Catholicism because those things are uniquely uh, American, or at least there's more, there are plenty more Americans who identify as Christianity and or as Catholic. And so by, by criticizing the Catholic church, you are by default criticizing other Americans who may be bigoted. Well, it's, it's the, the, the rule of thumb always is when it comes to any uh, isms, of course. If it's a um, majority belief, a majority idea, majority demographic, majority group, um, if it's a majority religion such as Catholicism or Christianity, the, you're not allowed to be offended. You're not allowed to be slighted. That, that doesn't apply to you. The only people that are allowed to be offended are the minority religions, and in this case, um, Muslim. That's that's where we're at. So yes, I agree with that. Now, actually, um, I know you're Catholic. Has the Pope, the the most recent Pope, and I don't, I can't remember his name. I don't follow that. Sorry. I thought he actually openly came out and supported gay marriage recently. Am I wrong? You know, I'm not exactly sure where he stands, where this current Pope stands on the, on the topic of gay marriage. I, I, I think what he's trying to do, um, I will say, is he's trying to make, uh, uh, make inroads with, with the gay community um, as, a, well, he, as a, he should. Now, do I think that the Pope should, um, should immediately, you know, overturn you know, a thousand years worth of Catholic tradition? Um, I don't know. That's not for me to decide. 
um, there there are some good arguments within Catholic Catholic doctrine against homosexuality, um, but at the same time, I don't think that Catholics should disparage nor ostracize homosexuals. I think there is the opportunity there to to build those bridges, um, and he absolutely should. So I think the I think the Pope is doing that. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Taken. <laughs> All right. This um, I just wanted to show this individual. This is the 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 man that he was referring to when he was talking about tucking, and what I find very striking about this is if um, <clears throat> actually let me uh, let me unpause that so you can see it. You probably can't see it, can you? Yep. Um, so here here he is, and. Um, there are a lot of questions that I want to ask. I think there are a lot of questions that every that a lot of Americans would like to ask. For example, how long does it take you to put on your makeup, right? How how did you learn how to do that? Um, how do you pick your your costumes? There are a hundred different types of of questions that would be probably as legitimate and might be a little intrusive in terms of asking why you do this, why you like to dress up this way, why you're on TV dressed up this way, what do your parents think, what do your grandparents think, um, how did you get involved into these kinds, kinds of things. Am I supposed to believe that um, individuals who dress up this way should not be asked any of those questions or that it is somehow offensive to ask those no. types of oh. questions? No, no. <laughs> the, the, the answer is you are supposed to know where your bounds are. That's the answer. Don't, don't expect anybody to explain to you how you're supposed to know that, but you are. And that's, that doesn't apply just to this, but it's to, to everything. Well, you can ask questions, but you can't cross the line. Well, well where's the line? Well, you, you should just know. So it's okay if I ask, how did you pick out what uh, shade of lipstick you decided was going to go best with this outfit? Um, it's okay to ask, you know, did your mom teach you how to do makeup? Um, it's not okay for me to ask um, what kind of material you use to stuff the bra to give you fake boobs because you're a dude and you don't have them. Um, it's okay for me to ask um, um, where you got your ears pierced and, and what kind of earrings do you wear when you're not in costume or do you? That's okay. Um, but for me to ask what you do with your, uh, your Herman and how do you tuck? Do you go forwards or backwards? And what do you do with that? That's over the line. Well, I think there's also a way to ask it where, of course, you, any question could be asked and people are going to be curious. These, these gentlemen have to understand that people are going to be curious about their lifestyle and are interested. There are going to be people, yes, there are going to be people that are going to be, um, you, you know, they're going to be asking questions with the intent to do harm, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are who are genuinely interested, who are wanting to learn more about what it is that they do and how they've how they've chosen this particular lifestyle. And there are ways to ask questions that are that respect that individual. And I think Jeff Goldblum in asking the question about about tucking, I think he was very um, I think he was being respectful. I don't think he was being, um, you know, trying to degrade him or being disgraceful um, to this individual. I think he was asking a legitimate question. He had to have known that something like that might happen. He's on TV. Mm -hmm. The whole goal of being on TV and the whole reason of bringing somebody like Jeff Goldblum onto the, onto the program is to make it entertaining, but while being respectful at the same time. Right. Right. And, and, you know, nobody asked, uh, I, I'm, when they asked Jeff to come on the show, I assume that they believe he knew exactly what he was getting into. And um, I also believe that Jeff probably did a little bit of a, we'll call it prep on his own and watched a few episodes before agreeing to go on and do that. Oh, sure. But I, I can't imagine um, how uncomfortable he may have been sitting there and, you know, in trying to engage in whatever idea, way he could asking some legitimate questions and you know what? Even if, if they were not legitimate, somebody should have said, hey, Jeff, dude, not appropriate. Inappropriate. You know, shut up. Well, um, well keep, up in, there. Oh, keep, in mind, keep in mind this initial question. If Listen to the first question or the first statement that the woman makes about this particular costume. 
certainly not Benedict Arnold. Nope, maybe not tonight. <laughs> but that was okay. Nobody but, got nobody got uh, offended by her comment about Benedict Arnold. Well, it's it's a it's a female, right? But so why the double standard? Well, welcome so, to today's society. There's always a double standard. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I'm, I, I am not going to, this is not earth shattering news to anybody, you, me, or anyone else listening to this. If, if anybody truly believes that there's no such thing as a double standard in today's society, you right. live in a cave. And, and I, I call shenanigans. I'm going to go get my broom. You know better. Everybody does. Yes, a woman can say Benedict Arnold and point to that. Blah. And that's okay. A man cannot. And that goes, that's, that spans uh, the gambit of things that we can talk about. Now, what if the woman would have, would have asked the question that Jeff Goldblum asked about tucking? What would have happened had she asked it? That same woman that um, right here that, that I'm mm -hmm. showing on, on screen. If she would have has, asked that question, would it have would it have been okay? Um, well, to, so she's actually a celebrity guest judge as well, I believe. I, not that I've watched the show that much to know, but I I, I believe I saw that in the Jeff Goldblum uh, clip. But um, I almost have to believe that she probably wouldn't even ask, because that's I don't I don't know. For me as a man, yeah, that's a very obvious question. I. I don't know which way the front, the back, the up, the down, or how that's supposed to work, or you go backwards with the fruit bowl thing. I don't know. And honestly, for me, I don't want to know, and I probably wouldn't be there to ask anybody because that's way TMI for me. That I'm good. Thank you. You do you. I'll stay out. Um, <laughs> do I think she would have been openly persecuted on Facebook, Twitter? All? No. No, I don't. I think if anything, people would have went, what is she dumb? How does she not know that? Along with everybody else. And they go, well, really, did we get an answer to that? Because I never heard. I still don't know how that works. Do you, you tuck or do you pull up or tie a string around it, wear it around your neck? I don't know. I, and again, maybe I don't want to know. But. Well, and, and I, think a, I think a lot of that depends on what political team the woman plays for. So if, if, for example, if Sarah Palin had been on the show <laughs> and as a guest celebrity, and if she were to ask that question, then it would Murder. have been the, the same kind of outrage, probably even 10 times oh, worse. Oh, no, it would have been worse. It right? would have been way worse. But if somebody like Rosie O'Donnell was on there as a celebrity guest, guest panelist, guest judge, or whatever it is, that, uh, that role that they're fulfilling, if it had been somebody like Rosie O'Donnell, who is a known... Um, gay ally right then she would have been treated completely differently and there would not have there i'm i'm i hypothesize that there would not be the type of outrage because she's already of or considered to be of the right way of thinking and somebody like sarah palin is obviously not of the right way of thinking and this is where i mean this is one of those kinds of things where we have to understand what is what is truth and what is being uh, appropriate and did Jeff Goldblum was he was he being untruthful and obviously we've already we've already talked about how he's not being Islamophobic but I don't even think he's being you know anti-Muslim uh, either but people have to pay attention to the actual words that were used if somebody else had uttered those exact same words but they were they were guilty of right think as opposed to being guilty of wrong think, then the internet would have reacted in a very different way. No, absolutely. And most likely, um, uh, you probably would have never even heard about it. Uh, no. it, it would have no. never gotten any kind of attention. Um, right. And it, it's, it's always been interesting to me. The, the, usually the people that will say, you know, never judge a book by its cover are the ones to judge first because they're, they're already coming into, and, and look at this situation as, as a perfect example. Instead of somebody saying, Jeff, that was a, a, a very bold question. What do you mean by that? And asking him to clarify, I was like, no, 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 no. You're over the line. You are uh, uh, anti-Muslim. You're anti, the, you know what? We're just gonna move on from you. And, we're, yeah. and, and, and I will obliterate you in social media and everything else. 
And it's, it's shameful. And it was an honest question that had to simply do with, you've got almost two opposing ideas coming together. And instead of saying how incredibly brave and innovative for you, Jeff's going, uh, I, I don't quite get it. Help, help me understand. And that's it. That's all he asked. And I mean, it was, it was the wrong kind of fireworks. Yeah. I even agree with the, I would even agree with the gentleman's uh, rationale for dressing the way he did and choosing that particular costume, right? Because he, he mentioned later on in the clip that, uh, that came after was that he wanted to promote the concept of how um, gay Muslims were being treated whether or not you believe they're being treated poorly or not, right? He's, he's trying to elevate, or he claimed to wanting to elevate uh, gay Muslims within the United States. I'm fine with that. I think that's totally fine. Um, I just think that, um, that the craziness occurred uh, against Jeff Goldblum for really no reason, so. Anyway. Um, we've yep. kind of talked about that one a little bit to death. Um, I, I think we should probably at this point switch gears to uh, our second topic, which was, um, you actually brought this up. You, you asked it of me if, if what I thought, if I thought that having a college degree was important in society. So do you want to kind of kick that off what you were thinking about and what you might, uh, might be wondering? Well, sure. You know, it's uh, something I think I've noticed um, on and off is that um, I guess, again, going back to judging a book by its cover, we actually look to people's credentials, um, whether it's writing a paper or um, listening to someone speak, um, interviewing them for a job, and, and look at that and say, all right, what is this person worth based on, you know, how many letters follow their name? And um, really looking at that, most of the time you are going to get those letters by simply going to... Um, going to college and getting a degree, a certification or accreditation of some sort um, to put behind your name. And when you and I were first talking about doing this, it was something that that's come up and I've even looked at it in my own career is, is getting that college education. Does that lend credence to you as an individual? Is that necessary for the working class? And is it absolutely necessary to be a productive member of society in today's society? And how do you break through any of those um, barriers that you may have, whether you have it or not? Because let's be honest, even having a degree creates a stereotype in and of itself that you have to break through um, in order to self-identify within uh, society today. So, um, Lucy? Dr. Manuel Ramirez, you've got a few um, degrees behind you. So what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I do have quite a bit of degrees behind me, uh, as well as various certifications too. I, I, <laughs> um, uh, if I put all of the letters that, uh, that, I, that I'm entitled to put behind my name, um, it's like a string like out to here. So uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Um, yeah, I had a similar conversation earlier today with a colleague of mine who was asking about uh, certifications. Uh, I recently um, started doing certification trainings for individuals, and um, and uh, my colleague was wondering if if she should allow some of these certifications to lapse uh, because she didn't really care about them anymore. And so, um, you know, whether it's certifications or or college education. Right. There are there are certain things. And I used to teach some college classes a couple of years back. And I used to tell my, my students all the time that, you know, you, the, the diploma that you get, it's just a piece of paper. It, it really is. It's really just a piece of paper. Um, sadly, there are certain uh, elements of our society that if you want to seek membership to those groups, um, whether that's, let's say, in academia or you want a particular type of job, then you're going to need a piece of paper in order to qualify. And there are a lot of companies where they've set the bar that says you have to have at minimum a college degree, a four-year college degree. And, and 
for a lot of those companies, they use it as just a simple way to screen. They don't even care what kind of college degree you have. You could get a college degree in you know, classical studies. They don't really, they don't care. All they want to know is, do you have a four-year college degree? And you check a box. All it is is a way to check the box because it's a way to whittle potential candidates down to a select few. Um, and depending on the type of position somebody might strike for, you might need to have a master's degree, for example, and that's just another way to further limit the, the resource pool, the, the available um, employee pool down so that you can be kind of picky and choosy and you don't have to spend so much time wading through different resumes, for example. But, but in reality, the, those, those degrees, those certifications, they only teach you a very little amount. Um, a lot of what you really need to be successful, I think you learn by being on the job and, and doing things. And do I think you need to have a college degree to be successful in society? Absolutely not. You know, when you pose this question to me, I started thinking about, um, about um, my pool guy. I love my pool guy. His name's Chris. He comes once a week. I know nothing about pools. I, I have enough college degrees behind me, but I, I don't know how to measure or how to analyze the water to make sure that I have all of the appropriate uh, chemical mixture in my pool. I call him. Um, a few weeks ago, my pool pump broke. And I, the first, my immediate call was to Chris. And I told Chris, he laughed at me because I, he picked up the phone. And I said, Chris, the flux capacitor on my pool has crapped out. I need you to come and make it flux again. And he laughed, right? And I love the guy because he does something that I can't. He doesn't have a college degree, but he runs a very successful company. I'm willing to bet you that the man makes about five times more than I do. He doesn't have a college degree. He goes around, he gets to work out in the sun. He loves doing what he does. Um, he's very successful at it. And he's, he's independent. He works by himself. He doesn't have to deal with sitting in an office. He doesn't have to deal with sitting in meetings. And he spends... 30 minutes at a pool, 20 minutes at a pool, and then he goes someplace else. And he has another guy who just happens to be named Chris who works for him. Uh, I guarantee you that his house is probably five times the size as mine. He's way more successful than I am in terms of um, you know, entrepreneurship and, and, and all of that. In fact, I'd be, I would love to learn from him about being an entrepreneur because he probably has a lot of knowledge to share in that particular area. So um, I recognize the need of, you know, the skill that he has because it's something that I don't have. So I do think that you can be successful in, in our society, but it depends on what it is that your goals are because depending on your goals, um, you may not need to spend time at a university and get a degree. Uh, Chris didn't. Um, if, if your goal is to become, let's say, a scientist, well, then guess what? You're going to have to do that because nobody's going to hire you without a PhD. So take it what you want. Sure. And, and you know, um, I, I wasn't really taking a stance one way or the other. Um, and I'm, I'm in a precarious place because, um, you know, I, I don't have the, the four-year college degree. I've taken my, uh, some classes here and there. I've got some certifications behind me. Um, but do I consider myself to be successful? Sure. I mean, at least enough. It, it's, it's us doing what I want. I am not going to define myself by a piece of paper. Now, a few years ago, and I, I was telling you about this, I was, uh, I'm starting to dabble in writing a little bit and I'm still working on, um, writing a book. And one of the chapters in there was, uh, get the damn piece of paper. And it was talking about just this, go to college, get the degree, move on. The, and just back to what you're talking about, having that piece of paper, it opens doors. It doesn't define you. It doesn't make life easier, but it will open some opportunities that may not otherwise be available to you. Um, a very good friend of mine actually had me lined up to uh, take a job um, in pharmaceuticals. Not going to really go into the details of that. And um, a very good salary to start. I did not get that position because I didn't have a degree. Could I have done it? Yeah. I'm in healthcare sales now. I know the job. Could I have done that? Sure. Am I denied that opportunity because I don't have that piece of paper? Yep. Absolutely. 
Um, as an employer, what I can say, anybody who's got that degree, it says to me one thing about your ability, as your life skills ability, let's say to fit into society. You are able to start a task-driven project, go through the process, take direction, fulfill the work, and complete that task in order to get that piece of paper. That's someone who at least that tells me I could hire and I know that they will go through the work as I assign it to them and complete it, or at least should. That's what I think that idea does. So in my advice, my thought, whether that makes you a better member of society, I'm not going to get into that necessarily, but if you want the opportunities there, get the dang piece of paper. So there, there are a couple of different things too, um, between certifications and a degree. Um, I deal in an industry where a lot of people do have certifications. And, and as I mentioned, I was talking with a colleague who has several and was wondering about letting them lapse um, because you have to maintain those certifications in order for them to be good. Um, and and the, the reality is, is that the certifications only really communicate one thing and that, they, well, actually they communicate two things. One, they communicate that you have a very, um, basic knowledge of a particular area. So, and that's covered under this by the certification itself. So they, they let possible employers, um, they communicate that you have an understanding of sort of the fundamentals of a particular area of, in a domain. And you have a certain level of mastery, but because all you've done is achieved that certification, you may not have a lot of the work experience behind you, but having that certification is better than not have, you know, if, if you don't have that work experience, then having that certification is helpful. Um, the other thing that certifications do is they just really tell you that you can pass a test because that's really a lot of cert what certifications are. It's like, congratulations, you passed a test and here's proof that you did. So um, it, it's just really a way that a third party is, is basically standing in for you and vouching for the knowledge that you claim to have. Um, in my experience, nine times out of 10, um, you have to teach somebody more uh, even when they have that certification. So you have to teach them and coach them about, yes, they have that certification in that little domain area. Now I know that you're teachable to your point earlier. I have to bring you into my organization and I still have to educate you on how my organization performs that area of expertise for you. And so you're going to become even more specialized based on how my company does it. So, you know, certifications are, are really, at the end of the day, they're, they're okay. Uh, at least in, in my industry, which tends to be information technology, they're okay. They're interesting to have. Um, they're certainly helpful, um, but they're not the end-all be-all. In my experience, what ends, what ends up being the end-all be-all is whether or not you do have that degree. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that concept either. Uh, again, I think it's a way to try to show a stand-in or try to show that you are capable of accomplishing certain things. But you know, most of the people that I work with, uh, they don't have degrees in the industry that in which we work. So they went and got some other degree somewhere. One of the best software developers I ever worked with, she had a degree in interpretive dance from Cal Berkeley. <laughs> Made for some interesting discussion <laughs> in the break room, I'm certain. <laughs> yeah, her senior thesis, she danced, she'd had to do an interpretive dance and her interpretive dance that she choreographed was a dance to the sound of crashing plates. I kid you not. I, I, okay. Um, and, and this is an individual, this is a woman that is probably the best software engineer that I've ever worked with. I've ever had the privilege of working with. And there's no way that that college degree proves anything about writing code. So, okay. We, we, we've theorized a little bit about what, I guess a, a degree or a certification actually could speak towards, you know, your capabilities as an individual. Um, I, I, I kind of keep circling around this idea that what uh, a university level education used to be is not what it is now. And you mentioned something to me um, earlier. I'm not sure whether that was uh, today or, or a few days ago, um, that college doesn't teach you how to think. 
but what to think or to yes. think like. So you tell me that again or explain that just because it was, it was intriguing and it got me thinking. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that when you went to college, you, you studied something that was, um, that was going to lead to a vocation. And when you, when you were studying, your, your professors were really challenging you on your ideas, on your biases, and getting you to think in different ways or trying to teach you how to think in different ways, how to um, you know, approach things by limiting a certain bias in an area, um, by taking an opposite side of things. And professors were always assigning these different types of assignments um, where you'd have to write a paper but take an opposing view from something that you, you agreed with to try to expand your horizons. And it used to be that, that students would go off to the university and, and they would grow and mature, not just physically, but mentally as well. And they would really start to be exposed to concepts that they were never exposed to before, like when they were in high school or at home. And so their, their horizons were sort of broadened. Uh, now, when you go to college, a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the classes, and I'm not referring to the STEM classes per se, but a lot of the a lot of the classical studies and liberal arts degrees, um, they really there's a real sense of indoctrination in terms of you have to study a topic from a very specific perspective. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a degree in film and media, and while I was taking my while I was studying for that degree, uh, almost all of my classes looked at the concept of film and media through a Marxist lens, and so you had to write papers, you were instructed to write papers using Marxist feminist theory. And if you didn't do that, then you were risking a bad grade. And so, in, in other words, even the professors did not want to hear an opposing viewpoint. They wanted to hear a viewpoint that matched their own. And I think that's a disservice to students. I used to tell my students, I used to tell my students all the time that it's not about what you can, it's not about your opinion, but it's about what you can prove. And I used to tell my students all the time that I don't care if you have an opposing, opposing opinion from me, you have to be willing to defend that opinion. So if you believe in Marxist theory, if you believe in feminist theory, for example, that's okay, but be sure to back up your arguments with, with what other people have said and draw and, yeah, you know what, you can argue Marxist theory till the cows come home and not either not convince somebody and not prove to, that it actually is a valuable thing. But you can provide evidence from a variety of sources and other scholars to help support your argument. So it's really about making an argument and sticking to it. So it used to be that, you know, you, you, can, you can argue about things and try to prove your point. But now college professors don't want to do that. They want to, they want to, they want to hear a sounding board for their own ideas. Well, and that's not just in the, in the collegiate field either. Um, uh, just in our general today's society, we've, we've so shied away from being able to have any kind of uh, cordial discourse. Um, we're not allowed to disagree with one another. And we're not allowed to have a discussion where we um, can actually oppose each other and still walk away. Friends, it actually is almost um, uh, shunned. Well, you guys are having a disagreement. You need to go away. You know, separate. Go. No, 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 no. We're having a, a, a impassioned discussion, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, and most of the time, those discussions come up just by asking honest questions, right? Uh, well, just like Jeff Goldblum did. Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand this. Help me understand, because my understanding of A and my understanding of B should come together to equal C. You're saying it equals Y. That doesn't make sense to me. Help me understand it. Um, instead of saying, well, you're just a, a, a racist, sexist, bigophobist, ism person, and I don't even want to talk to you anymore, go away, and I'm going to blast you up on social media and start talking behind your back. We refuse to actually work those issues out and, 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 and have that debate with each other. I got almost got kicked out of a class, college class, last year. Same thing, um, and I actually had some some discourse with my uh, professor and a couple others. It was a a class I was I was actually genuinely interested in. It was a religions class, and I was being told, you know, this religion believes A, B, C, D, and E, 
And I said, well, I'm looking at sources here, which are saying that this is actually opposite and I'm getting this. So help me understand it. Um, and I was basically told, no, you, you shut up, sit there like a good little student, write the paper I told you and write it this way. And this is the viewpoint and move on. Um, otherwise I will fail you. So it, when you said it doesn't teach you how to think, but what to think, um, it's interesting how much I guess some of that rang true and it almost kind of frightened me a little bit because um, I've been talking with a couple people um, in and around town and some younger people as well, trying to understand how we got to a place where free thinking, um, asking open honest questions has become not just a faux pas, but almost persecuted. And um, you need to go with the flow and you need to be, if I'm told, this is what it is by someone of higher authority than me, whoever that is. I'm taught not to question and move on. Now, that's different if it was, let's say, your godfather, right? Or your grandparent telling you, no, boy, this is the way it is. Well, even as we grow up later in life, we still question, now, why did grandpa say that? You know, he had a reason. And so we always go back and look at where he was, how he got brought up and why he came to that place so we can understand it. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, we should be encouraged to do that. Um, but being told that you're not allowed to disagree with anybody, I mean, what kind of mass does that create in today's society? Yeah, there, you know, there's something, there's something that I was thinking about while you were talking about all this. And, and you know, we tend to, we tend to look at um, people that have doctoral degrees um, as being experts in a particular area. If somebody, you know, I have a doctoral degree. I, am I an expert in a particular area? To a certain degree, I am. Um, but I, I don't even know everything about that particular domain in which I studied. Right? There, there's a lot of areas that in that in that in that one domain that I focused on that I don't know a lot about. Um, but what we tend to do is we tend to look at people that are that are in these these situations or in these positions of authority, or that we we kind of bestow upon them the the expert category, right? The expert label. And we say, well, they're the experts in this particular domain, so they know what they're talking about. The problem, though, there is while they may certainly be an expert in that particular domain, when we're talking about academia, we're talking about individuals who are not, uh, who do not suffer accountability for if they're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so if they put out theories that are incorrect or they're advising people um, members of government, et cetera, we go to these people and we say, well, we have, we have Dr. So-and-so on our task force, right? So we need to listen to everything that they have to say and we need to abide by what they do. What we have to understand is, first of all, they're still human. They're still capable of making error. They're still capable of being wrong completely. Uh, it's why even at that academic level, um, at that scholarly level, we have peer reviews because we, we know that we can be wrong and we need other, other academics, other scholars to look at our work and say, wait a minute, no, 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 you don't, you don't pass the smell test here. Go back. And if you don't think that that happens on a daily basis, my God, uh, it's, it's, scholars are battling that constantly and trying to defend and you have to be able to defend that. Now, the, the, the main thing about this that, that I want to make, the main point that I want to make is that if they're wrong, there's really nothing that you can do to them. They, they, get, to, they get to pontificate and make a lot of these, uh, these proclamations that can affect public policy and can affect people's lives. And if they're wrong, nobody can hold them accountable. They, they, they don't have to suffer the consequences of being wrong. Right. Well, and, and there's, they may be an expert in their field. Um, but that doesn't speak to anybody's motivations either. Um, and that's something else to take into account. I mean, it, it, you go see your doctor, okay? You've got, you've got something wrong with you. And the doctor says, this is what I think's wrong with you. Um, I'm an expert in the field, which there's no such thing as an expert when it comes to medicine. That's why they call it practice. I, I work with doctors. <laughs> I get it. Yes. Um, but, you know, he says, I, this is what's wrong with you. 
take medication X, and we're going to call it zebra, okay? You, I think zebra is going to fix your problem. It's the best. Trust me, I'm an expert. Well, what happens if that drug, zebra, he actually gets a kickback from the pharmaceutical companies from, and that's why he's using it, versus brand, I don't know, gorilla. I'm trying to be very vague. But the point is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with taking expert advice, expert information, and get a second opinion. And if they match up, good to go. Move on with it. But to say that, you know, I don't know a whole lot about that, so I'm going to trust the experts to shove it down my throat and feed me with it, that completely takes any kind of personal responsibility out of it for you as the individual. And, um, well, shame on you. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of uh, those who have PhDs, for example, when you're going through that, that whole doctoral process and you're doing your own research and creating, a, you know, writing your book and creating brand new scholarship, you know, yeah, you're, you have to write it, do a study and conduct all the study and everything. You're challenged on what are rival theories to your own theory. And you have to think of how you might be wrong or why your why your different hypotheses and, and why your research questions might be incorrect. And, and you have to challenge yourself. You're required to challenge yourself. And so when we have these experts and we bestow this title of expert on them, it's also under the under the condition that they don't necessarily believe their own, you know, their own rhetoric. They have to be willing to accept the fact that there are rival theories and yeah, what you've come up with, you might be able to prove your hypothesis now, but there might be something that some other variable that you were unaware of that might change it. And so you're forced to look at that and you're forced to defend that before you can even get that title of PhD added to your name. So, you know, these, these individuals are taught to do that, but we have to also remember that these are humans who have legitimate desires that all humans have. And they have desires like wanting to increase their own personal wealth, wanting to increase their own personal status. These are failings of, you know, neg that can be very negative failings of, of, of humans. And they are humans and they can make, they can and they do make mistakes. Uh, and if we forget about that and we just assume, well, they're the experts, so they get to rule my life and they get to tell me how to live and I'm going to trust them and I'm going to put all of my trust into them as an individual. Well, what if they're wrong? And what if they don't have your best intentions at heart? Because they are humans and humans are fallible. Well, and it almost becomes um, a, a, a faith at that point, almost yes. blind faith, really. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I'm religious, as an, an, and you are as well, but every person, every person on the planet, I don't care who they are, has questioned their own faith belief. Even if they're atheists, they've questioned that. Everybody does. So um, in that same regard, your, your priest, your pastor, whoever, you actually, do you really believe that they don't question that sometimes too? I, I have a lot of um, trust in my pastor. I don't have faith in him. I have faith in God. But do I think that he questions even some of the things he says sometimes? Sure. And dang, dang it, he better. Absolutely. So why do we put such blind faith and trust into our so-called experts, whether they are our doctor? Our college professors, our government officials, our, you, you can take it to whatever level you want. We put such blind faith without questioning some of these people. And, and I'm not saying you have to go up and shake your finger in their face and say, I heard what you said and I think you're full of, and you know, convince me I'm wrong. But ask those questions, even if you're doing that to yourself, and seek out alternative answers so that you can move forward knowing that you've actually explored those options. Otherwise you are, you, you're, you're sheep. I mean, and even then it's, it, it just seems reckless as a human being, let alone a productive member of society to just swallow it whole. But yeah. And I think, I think the, uh, the so-called experts, they own a, a part of that. Um, they do own a part of this and 
when, when you are becoming that expert and you're going through that particular training and you're, you're learning how to do that research um, and you're developing yourself as a scholar and as an expert in a particular domain, the only thing that you have, the only thing that you have, because there is, the reality is, is once you finish that journey and you add, you know, doctor to your name, for example, uh, people will look at you, they will give you a certain amount of courtesy as an expert, okay? And the only thing that you have as an individual is your credibility. That's it. That's all you have. Yep. And, and if you do something to destroy your credibility, then you're done. You're done as an academic. You're done as a scholar. You're done as a researcher. I recognize that. Yep. Um, you know, I write articles about my domain and I continue to do research in my domain that I studied in. Um, and that's something that I'm always thinking about is how do I maintain my credibility? But, because if I, if I lose that, I'm done. Nobody's going to take me as an expert ever again. Go ahead. No, no, no. But that, that actually extends even if you don't have that degree. Don't have well, that that's level. True. Um, and and I, can, uh, I can say that from personal experience. I don't. Um, but people that work with me on a regular basis know me for who I am. I'm not a liar. I'm honest and upright. And I always will be. And I have that credibility built. Now, I had to earn that through years of work experience and um, personal dealings and build that credibility up to gain that. But again, I can lose that just as easily and it will follow me just as easily. Yeah, oh, definitely so. Uh, it's just that when you, when you have that term doctor in front of your name, right? Um, there's a lot of leeway that people give you mm -hmm. just by walking into the room, whether or not they've ever interacted with you before at all. You walk in and you say, you know, I'm, I, if I say I'm Dr. Ramirez, there are going to be people that, oh, well, you know, this is Dr. Ramirez. Um, you know, he must know what he's talking about. And I'm thinking, I'm doing the best I can here, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I have to go that extra mile to tell people, look, this is what I think. And this may not be the right solution and depending on the, the number of variables. And I, I, have to, I have to kind of preface that because I have to let people know I'm, I'm using my expert opinion here, but at the same time, I might be wrong. Yeah, but in that same notion, and, and I know, because I, I, I know you well enough, and I can see the look on your face, so I know. When you say that, this is my expert opinion, tell me uh -huh. honestly, do you not see them, their face physically change and go, oh, yeah. okay, I'm going to have to seriously listen now because oh, yeah. Dr. Ramirez here, he's the expert, and he's, he, he's putting his degree behind him and yeah. backing this up oh yeah so i do see you do see that i do notice mm -hmm. that you know uh, i noticed that change um it, it it started changing when i was a doctoral student and i would tell people well, i'm a doctoral student blah, blah blah and it started to happen there and people started to kind of give more and more leeway uh, and once i finally earned that degree and i said well i'm dr ramirez it it really changes the environment it really changes the way people approach me when they know that um, and I certainly don't go around. I don't have it on my, my email signature at work, for example, right? Um, but pe some people know, some people don't know. Uh, but there are times when I have, when I've been introduced that way. And, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a much, there's a change in people in the way that they, they accept me. And, and I get how some people, remember, we're talking about humans here right? There are going to be some people that are going to be overcome by that level of treatment. And if you're not careful, that can go to your head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my head's big enough. I have a hard time getting through the door already. But if I thought people actually respected me because I had a doctorate degree, Dr. Moret <laughs> coming into the room, oh my gosh, I, I'd, I'd never be able to go anywhere in public. But um Titles. I mean, really, when you look at what titles do to not only a person, but the, the people receiving them, it has a huge impact. Yeah. Um, and even when I took the job that I'm in now, I had the opportunity to um, select my title. Um, so oh. in, instead of, you. well, and I was given options. It wasn't carte blanche by <laughs> all means. Um, so I was able to select a title um, out of a few that I thought portrayed a different uh, persona, if you will. 
And you're absolutely right. Being introduced a certain way changes the entire conversation and dynamic before you ever open your mouth. And so um, that title lends to your education. So I guess the question there is, we've established it affects it, but does that prepare you better to be a more functioning person in today's society or not? No, I, I don't think it does. I, I you know, you, you mentioned before that, that um, having the piece of paper can open opportunities, uh, open doors for you. And I do, agree, I do believe that to a certain degree. I don't think it's the only thing, um, but, and I don't believe that it certainly prepares you better or, or necessarily worse. I'm not saying it's necessarily worse, but it really depends, I think, on the path that somebody wants to, wants to try to achieve. But I, I don't think it, you know, for me, education has always been a very personal thing. And whenever I looked at it from a personal perspective, um, I, I grew as an individual. I like to think that I grew as an individual. And, and to me, that's what was the most rewarding out of that. But none of that has really prepared me to do my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, and, and and lucky for me, being in the in the industry that I'm in, there's really no degrees that say, uh, okay, you're a sales and marketing guy. Not really. I mean, the, I yeah. could get a marketing degree in some of those other things, but I I don't know that that would have made me um, better suited for my job. But the job aside, um, what my work experience and life experience has taught me in interacting with people has educated me in my belief at least well above and beyond what any kind of college degree could have ever done um i i I believe i'm i'm in a place where i can meet just about anybody on their level um and there's no need for credentialing behind my name or theirs because when it comes down to it whether we however many letters we want to put behind our name um, we are just men we are just women trying to do the best we can in the short amount of time that we have given to us gifted to us um, for ourselves and our family and that puts us all on the exact same playing field well and and i think it goes back to that do you have and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, do you, do you have values and principles that are guiding you through life? Because those you're not going to get from having any kind of a paper. You're not going to get that from a certification or from some fancy degree. Um, you're, you, you have to develop those values and those principles separately. And I think, I think those values and those principles better are, are, are better suited to preparing you for interacting within society because those values and principles are going to guide your decision making through society not the degree itself um so i think it's i think it's better for people to to you know to take the time to understand and contemplate what are my values what are my principles and and how do i use those as as sort of a flashlight or a guiding beacon while i while i traverse this thing called life i think that's I think that's really the crux of it. And, you know, as, as much as, as much as our society has changed, one of the things that I feel as an, as, um, as an American, as an individual is there are a lot of people who have sort of abandoned the concept of values and principles, and they don't have any values and principles um, to speak of. They do, but they don't even know what they are. And so for all intents and purposes, then you don't, because now you're conflicted and you're, you might do certain actions that contradict some values and, and support others. And so when that happens, I think people are, are out of alignment. And, and I think that's where people find, uh, begin to feel unhappy because they, they realize that they're sort of in this kind of state of being in chaos because they don't know why they're, they're satisfying some values over here, but you know, they're letting some other values on this side kind of, kind of go by the wayside and they feel that conflict, but they don't know how to articulate it. Right. Well, in, in psychology, you, you enter into the state of uh, cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. what they say. It's, and it's, it's so, and this is a really interesting topic and we, that could probably take us through two episodes if we wanted to do that later. Probably. Where, Where do we get values and principles? How are those yeah. instilled? Do they develop? How do we learn them? What's the difference between a value or principle and a, principle. And a, and a belief? Sure, um, sure. Or uh, 
you know, and a lot of that's, that's pretty deep. We'll, we'll definitely have to dive into that. Cause I think that really does lend to a, a deeper undertone behind even what we're talking about now um, in both of these topics, not just this, but also what happened with Jeff, you know, it's, um, what are our values as individuals that, that lead us to be able to, to communicate? Um, what are we looking for out of education? What are we looking for in, um, in our career path? And, and how do we attain those things? <clears throat> and what do we hold on to? And what do we let go of? Yeah. Well, and, that's a, we should experience that. We shouldn't experience. We should explore those. And as we continue um, doing these podcasts and, and trying to answer those questions of, um, for folks, what is a value? What is a principle? And how do you get them? Yep. How do you develop them over time? Absolutely. Nope. All right. Okay. Well, I think, uh, I think we kind of talked to that one to death. Okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, this uh, kind of takes us to the end of episode number two. So I'm going to be publishing this out there. It'll be available on the interweb starting tomorrow morning. Um, so on behalf of my co-host, Jason Rett, I'm Dr. Manuel Ramirez, and so we're signing off. Until next time, thanks. Take, Take care, care, everyone. <laughs>